Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Second Peter, chapter number two, verses starting at verse number fourteen here tonight. Last night we uh, were talking. Last week, rather, we were talking about some of the traits of a traitor. Uh, traitor, we're calling the false teachers. What Peter is addressing here, and so I want to continue in that vein because Peter is not done with indicating some traits or characteristics of uh, those type of people, and so he continues. Second Peter chapter number 2 and verse number 14. He says, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozer, who loved the wages of unrighteousness but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. And so I want to continue. Peter continues speaking of these characteristics and traits. And so let's look at them this evening, the traits of a traitor. Amen. Let's pray right now. The Lord would help us. Father, I love you, Jesus. Lord, I admire you, Lord Jesus. God, your word, Lord, is perfect. It is sound. God, I need that sound word, Lord Jesus, in my chaotic life. I pray, oh Lord, today, God, give us ears to hear. Lord, minds, oh Lord Jesus, understanding hearts, God, I pray, Lord, for the pondering, Lord God, of these things. And will not fail to thank you and praise you for it. In the name of Jesus Christ, that I pray. Amen. I want to say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Just for the sake of review, just a little bit to uh, compile and and uh, our, our list of characteristics and traits of the traitor or these false teachers. Let's just go back and delve a little bit into last week to uh, compile our list so that we can add to it. Last week, Peter, as he started the list of traits for these traitors or these false teachers, which they were known by, here are some of the things that he made mention of that we made mention of last week. These type of people, they walk after Remember, we kind of emphasize the fact after the flesh, meaning that the flesh led. And so then that they followed the flesh. They walked after the flesh. They despise authority. Uh, they are presumptuous or they are daring in a negative way. They are self-willed. They are unafraid to speak against dignities, uh, which could cover both area of those that are uh, spiritual and those that are Men that serve in capacity of the governing body of the church, so to speak. They're unafraid to speak against dignities. Their nature was compared to wild animals that just uh, kind of go by their instinct and have no ability to reason. They speak evil against things that they do not understand. This is getting quite a list. I mean, if you can't identify him from what when Peter gets done, you just can't identify him. I mean, he's given a list here. They, they speak evil of things they don't understand. They riot in the day, which was something that was typical 
if you will, for the evening time. And so what that gave us to understand is that these were just people that really didn't care at that, that, that point in time. Peter describes them as spots. He describes them as blemishes. He says they are sporting, uh, they are basically deceiving even not just people, but themselves in their deception. They are deceiving themselves. And so it's amazing this list of traits that Peter's already compiled for us. And whenever these begin to pour forth from a life, they're pouring forth from a life that has simply distanced themselves from truth. And I think that's what we need to lasso around. These are false teachers. These are false teachers, people that have uh, disengaged truth. And so it just proves to reason then when you disengage truth, you open yourself up to a pouring out of all other types of, of characteristics that are not in alignment then with the word of the Lord or the Lord himself. There's a lot of things that can stem from and branch out from disembracing truth. And so the Bible says in John 8, I'd like to read and you're hearing John 8. Jesus is speaking to the Jews here in the New Testament. And in John 8 verse 30 it says this. As he spake these words. He had just spoke some things to them. Christ had. As he spake these words. Many, and this is the Jews. Many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. If ye continue in my word. Then are ye my disciples indeed, verse 32. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so really, those three verses, in my opinion, are a capsule for what we've already learned in Second Peter thus far. Because many believe, notice, many believe because of Jesus' words, amen, or could I say for our purposes, his word, and those who, who believed in his word, he says, continue in my word. That parallels with our second Peter study, being not just born again, taken on, perhaps becoming partakers of the divine nature, but the adding to virtue, this and that, and so on and so forth. It's that continuance in those things. He says, continue in my word. And Christ says, when you continue in my word, he says, then I can for sure label you my disciples which were disciples, were just pupils or followers. I can label you then people that follow me, follow my truth, follow my word, follow my command. Furthermore, Jesus in verse 32 equates his word. He says, ye shall know the truth, which he's referring back to his words that he spoke to them or his word. He equates his word with truth. He says, he, ye shall know the truth. Again, that word for know is that experiential knowledge. That living it out knowledge, you shall know the truth and it will make you free. Now, I think we can all agree. We've, we've heard it preached. We've heard it taught. It's almost been a chance sometimes that truth makes you free. An experienced truth, a lived out truth makes you free. But without truth, without it, you are, as, as Peter is starting to delineate for us, you are on a slippery slope. Amen. I think it's important tonight to, to state and state again that truth is not bondage. Living out divine truth is not bondage. That is a myth. That is a myth. If you consider juxtapose against living truthfully and having the false teachers, if you consider the false teachers, consider their lives. 
Verse 12 of 2 Peter 2 is these people perish in their own corruption. Verse 13 of 2 Peter 2, they receive the reward of their unrighteousness. Verse 13 also says they deceive themselves. Amen. And so whenever we think about people saying, well, truth, that's just a bunch of bondage, incarceration. No, 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 that's a myth. Truth is really freedom. I would say perishing in my own corruption is more bondage. I would say deceiving myself or receiving the reward of unrighteousness to be more bondage. In verse 14, Peter says, these cannot cease from sin, which basically means this, that their desire for sin or sinful things is never satisfied. Never satisfied. Ecclesiastes 1 and 8 states these words. The preacher Solomon says, all things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Now, in a very natural sense, that statement is absolutely true. Both our eyes and our ears uh, do not tire of seeing and hearing. Uh, if we maintain these senses to our deathbed, uh, to the moment that we leave this earth, if we maintain them all of our days, no matter how much our eye has seen, guess what? It can still see more. No matter how much our ears have heard, guess what? They can still hear more. But for this very reason also, whenever these senses such as seeing and hearing is involved in sin, such as sins, seeing of pornography or sins of hearing like gossip, they're difficult practices to break because the eye will never tire in seeing and the ear will never tire in hearing. And so they're difficult things to break. So the eye is not satisfied with seeing. The ear is not filled with hearing. And these people that are false teachers, they have a desire that they seize not from sin. It cannot be contented. And so the downward spiral of these traitors, and again, I call them this because they were those, according to 2 Peter 1, they were those who obtained the like precious promise, amen, but evidently turned from it. So the downward spiral of these traitors led to, according to the scripture to Peter, it led to greed. Their downward spiral led to even sexual immorality. In a literal sense, uh, these people looked at, at every woman considering them, or man for that matter, according to who the false teacher is, uh, but every, which in that day would more likely be the man, just culturally, okay? But these, looked at, these people looked at every woman considering them as a potential candidate for adultery. Amen. They, they seen women as objects of sexual desire that they longed to seduce. And these are just people that turned from truth. But that's where it starts. That's not where it finishes. Not only that, if we look at this, uh, the phrase, the scripture says, having eyes full of adultery. If we look at this, in the Greek it literally reads, having eyes full of an adulteress. Which relates, if you would like to, to these Jews or false teachers have you who have transferred their affections from God to something else now. So if it isn't them longing for a woman uh, to objectify a woman in a very literal sense, we can take it to the sense of spirituality, meaning this. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, whenever God referred to Israel, the nation that was his treasure box that he loved and adored, he sometimes referred to Israel as a harlot or an adulteress whenever she, Israel, turned their back on the Lord. 
Whenever she disengaged him as God and ran after other gods and lived a life uh, opposed, amen, to him, he would call her a harlot or an adulteress when she was forsaking him. And so perhaps Peter is telling us them having eyes full of, in the Greek literally, an adulteress was to have eyes for everyone or everything other than what they had originally committed to, which was God. They're false teachers now. They have turned from him, turned from the truth. And so he's saying now they have eyes full of an adulteress. In other words, they're not faithful to me anymore. They're not faithful to me anymore. They're they're looking for other things. They're looking different routes. And do you know what the problem is with false teachers or people who leave truth? Or even people who decide to go headlong after sin many times. Do you know what the problem is? They can't be content to leave by themselves or sin alone. Many times they take people with them or they try to influence people. Look, the Bible says that they are beguiling, the Scripture says, that they are beguiling those that are unstable souls is what the Word of the Lord terms it as. Amen. These heretics, these false teachers, they lure to beguile means to to almost like bait a hook. They lure to try to bait a, a, a hook, if you will, to catch others to go along with them along their pernicious ways. Uh, it means as though, and you know what a hook is, right? And the baiting of a hook, the bait on the hook is to deceive whatever you are trying to get that it's not a hook. Right? That's a great meal. That scrumptious worm. Amen. But there is the hook. It's a deception. And so it's implying that they are having deceptive means to persuade others their way, their path, which is leading away from the Lord. And so they bait, the Bible says, unstable souls, or if you will, unsteady souls into believing. Basically, you can live the way that you want to live. You can live for sexual pleasure, or you can just live for simple pleasure for all that matter. You can live for earthly possessions and everything that it has to offer without any consequence of judgment. Amen. William Barclay says it like this. He says, they have deliberately fought with their conscience until they've destroyed it. I remember, man, years ago, uh, uh, Paul Poole at our church, first church, he preached misunderstanding the mercies of God. And I guarantee he preached over an hour. Because I don't know too many, I don't really, he always preached over an hour. Misunderstanding the mercies of God. Some of you may remember that message from years ago. And I remember uh, sitting down with him. We was eating one night late into the night. And I was a young, young boy at that time. But I remember him talking about uh, whenever you do something over and over, it's almost like uh, having an uh, a axe in your hand, fresh, young, virgin hands that never swung an axe that's very soft and plow. But after you do that for a while, then you start to get calluses upon your hand. And it starts to get tough. And where you were tender before, and it was easily influencing your hand before, and ouch, that hurt, and those blisters formed before. He says, over time, you keep swinging the axe. Day after day, you'll build calluses up. You won't blister anymore, and you won't be tender anymore. It won't hurt anymore. And he said, whenever that happens, he says, you just build up basically enough skin, enough layers, get thick skinned enough right there that that doesn't impact you like it used to impact you. And so Barclay's saying these, these teachers have went down a path, a rabbit hole, if you will, uh, went down a way that if they continue that long enough, what is it? They, they, they don't want to cease from sinning. Because why? They've lost conscience that it's even wrong. 
They'll have to, everything's okay. That's today. Everything's okay. Everything's permissible. Everything's is acceptable. I'm all right. You're all right. We're all right. He's a gracious God, blah, 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 blah. Amen. But if we don't watch ourselves, we can deliberately fight with our conscience until we've destroyed our conscience. That we have no basis, if you will, of knowing right from wrong, true from false. Amen. That they just kind of blend in to one another. It's all a gray area and so just accept it all. Amen. And the Bible even says, speaking of these false teachers, it says that they have exercised their heart. Amen. With covetous practices. They have exercised their heart. Meaning they have trained their heart with covetous practices. They, they have trained their heart to pine for more and more. That's covetousness. Wanting more and more something. They have pined. They have trained their heart to, to pine and long for more and more. For me tonight. Of what is less and less important. They're wanting more and more of what is less essential. Amen. And the essential things they want less of. Listen, it is, it is nothing more but the trickery of our adversary to cause us to major on the minors and minor on the majors. Amen. To disengage from the essential and to major on those things that really, amen, have no weight uh, concerning our eternal way in glory. The Bible says in Colossians 3, 2, this is how uh, Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. He said, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. What's he saying? He's saying, don't train your heart after covetousness. Don't train your heart after those things. He said, train your heart by setting your affection on things that are above, not on things that are the earth. He told us then in verse number five how we do this, how we set our affections on things above and not things below. He says, you mortify. Everybody say mortify. That means deaden. That means subdue. He says, you mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. That's how you set your affections on the things that are above. You deaden and you subdue, amen, these bodies, amen. In doing so, amen, you are subduing and deadening then your propensity for fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is, he says, idolatry. Look at verse 6. For which things sake... All those things he listed, fornication, all those earthly things, if you will, which things sake the wrath of God cometh, which would be the Lord's judgment, on the children of disobedience. Amen. Paul, Peter, rather, even called these false teachers, he called them cursed children because living the lives of a false teacher and practicing their practices would categorize a person as a cursed child or cursed children because no matter how many labels may splinter amen from there whatever they may become there are only really two groups in this world you 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 can label everybody this that and the other there's only two categories okay i know we got a lot of groups in the world a lot of labels but there's really only two categories that we need to be concerned with and those are the ones that's mentioned in scripture and that is these two groups you're either in adam or you're in christ 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, For as in Adam, all died. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. So you can take all the other labels, all the other groups, and it boils down to those two. In Adam or in Christ. Amen. And so these traitors now in the Scripture, they are likened unto Balaam, if you look at the Scripture. They are likened to Balaam in verse number 15 of the Old Testament in that 
both these false teachers and Balaam of the Old Testament, both of them forsook the right way of the Lord and went astray. It even appears that forsaking the right way of the Lord seems to impact and affect the going astray. Meaning when you forsake the right way, you have set yourself up to be led astray. Numbers 22, you can turn there. It's not going to be up there. There's all kinds of verses. It's not that one, bro. I got a lot of verses before that, but you can follow along in your Bibles if you want to. I didn't want to lay them down with like the whole chapter. Amen. Numbers chapter 22. To understand how Balaam and these false teachers have some commonality, then we should go back right to the old story of Balaam to figure out what they're talking about. When you look at Numbers 22, you'll read in verse 7. The Bible says that both the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian, uh, they departed to go find Balaam, and they were going to find him. Balak wanted him to be found, and they went with, the Bible calls it, the rewards of divination in their hand. They had some money. They were going to pay for Balaam to come and curse the Israel of God. They were going to pay him to do that. And so they had some money uh, for the rewards of, of his divination, as it's called in Scripture. They were going to pay him to curse Israel. And as a matter of fact, Balak, who was wanting Balaam to come, don't get him confused. Balaam is the one that's supposed to be doing the cursing. Balak is the one that's hiring him, all right? Balak wants him to come, and Balak wants him to come so bad he's insistent on him not letting anything hinder him from coming. You can read that in verse 16 of Numbers 22. And Balaam, don't, don't let anything hinder you from coming. As a matter of fact, as the incentive, Balak told Balaam, he told him, he says, I... With everything that's within my power, I will promote you with great honor if you do come. So not only are you going to get some money, some remuneration here, but you're going to get some great honor, great promotion from me. And so showing himself as honorable as possible, uh, at least already to God, Balaam said in verse 18, whenever these servants came, these servants of Balak's came to Balaam to try to persuade him, Balaam said, listen, you, you all just don't even have enough money. He said, you could give me all the silver in the house, all the gold in the house. He said, but none of that will make me go against God. That's basically what he said. It doesn't matter what you give me. None of that's going to make me go against God. And so Balaam even urged the servants of Balak. He says, here's what I'm going to do. He says, I want you to tarry here tonight. I'm going to see if the Lord will speak to me or say anything more concerning this about going with you in the morning, and we'll see what happens. Well, God did speak to Balaam. God spoke to him. God told him. He said, Balaam, if these men come and call you in the morning, he says, go with them, but only speak what I tell you to say. Only say what I tell you to say. That's verse number 20 of Numbers 22. And so the Bible says that Balaam got up in the morning, got ready, and guess what? He headed off with these boys, and the Lord was upset. And the reason why God is upset, and you might say, well, that's a little detail. Well, it's an important detail to God. Well, God said that he could go with them. Yeah, only if they came and called to him. God puts all the periods and the commas. He puts everything in place, when, what he says, with purpose. He says, if they come and call you, you can go with them. Balaam gets up and says, I'm going with them. They didn't. We don't have no record in Scripture that they came. We have no record in Scripture that they called. And so Balaam went with these men seemingly without them coming to him or calling to him, saying anything about going. And God is upset about this. And so having done this, here's Balaam. He's on his donkey that he's ridden 
all his days that he's had this donkey. And Balaam is riding it. He's going to go, you know, do just what the Lord says. Uh, Except he didn't, you know, he didn't wait for them to mention or for them to call. He's on his way. And so God being upset sends an angel of the Lord with a sword. Let me tell you something. You don't want God sending a man with a sword, let alone an angel. I, now, there are other episodes in Scripture like whenever David numbered the people and he shouldn't have, that there was an angel with a sword and he took out a lot of people. You don't want an angel to have a sword and he's commissioned from God. I, amen. So this is not good. And so there's an angel of the Lord with a sword and there's Balaam on his donkey and he starts to go a certain path and the donkey seems to act up and another path and the donkey seems to get act, act up and Balaam's getting angry at his donkey. Amen. But what Balaam doesn't know, the The animal had more sense than the man had. He was aware of the angel while Balaam was not aware of the angel. But three times that, everybody needs to go home and hug their dog, I guess. But three times that donkey, or if you got a donkey, hug it. (laughs) Three times that donkey kept Balaam from judgment. In essence. Three times that donkey kept Balaam from judgment. Balaam didn't recognize it. The donkey did. He just thought the donkey's being stubborn because that's what donkeys do. (laughs) Lord Beth Jones, author of the book Jesus CEO, she said this. She says, there's a fine line between knowing when opposition is God trying to show you another way or when it's just a test of courage. She says, though, if the passively opposing forces cause you to use violence to get them to move, she says, you're probably not on God's path. In other words, if you do everything you possibly can to get something to happen and it doesn't, then you there, there must be an angel on the road somewhere, so don't be beating your donkey. Numbers 10 and verse 30 says this, And the ass said unto Balaam, because he struck that donkey, man, he just you know, beat the tire of it. The ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine until this day? In other words, We've been together for a long time. You've always wrote on me, he says, ain't I yours? And looks at the other question, was I ever want to do so unto thee? Have I ever done this before to you? Have I ever turned another direction or rammed your ankle up against the wall? Have I ever done this to b- before? And Balaam said, nay. What the donkey was trying to get Balaam to consider is if all these years that we've been together and that you have rode me, have I ever acted like this before? The fact of the matter is this. When the donkey that you've always rode, I just <laughs> this dear me. When the donkey you've always rode suddenly refuses to move, don't kick it. You better get off and see where the angel's standing in the road. If you gotta press something that you never had to press before, if you had to force something you never had to force before, you better stop and take inventory about where the angel of the Lord is in all of this. Amen. Going a little further, Numbers 22 and verse 32. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, here we go now, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass three, three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee. Look now, the angel says, because thy way is perverse before me. Now there's something to be said for Balaam to say, you know what, you know, there's not enough silver and gold in all of your houses in order for me to go beyond what God would say for me to do but yet after saying that he hastily arose in the morning and followed when no one came to him no one mentioned it 
Amen. We have no record of that or they did not ask him to. And so Balaam, the Bible says, as he went, that he blessed Israel rather than cursing them. All right. He blessed them rather than cursing them. God said, as you go, and he gave him the words to speak. It was blessing upon them. Amen. But even then, the angel of the Lord, before he ever got there, already knew that there was some perverseness in the way of Balaam. There was a way in him that was perverse. There was a way in him that was perversion. We'll find out a little bit later in the story of Numbers concerning Balaam. Somewhere along the way, he might have blessed God's people as he viewed them from three different stations on a mountain. But somewhere along the way, according to God's word, Balaam counseled the people of Moab. How to, if you will, beguile the unstable, unsteady souls of Israel. We don't have all the details. The Bible doesn't give us the complete story of that. But it's what we read in Peter and what we read a little later in Numbers that we understand that Balaam somehow convinced the Moabites. The Bible calls it the doctrine of Balaam, I believe it is in the book of Revelation, and the heir of Balaam. He somehow took them and taught them how. I can't curse Israel for you, but I can counsel you on how to deceive Israel. And so we're starting to see how of a kindred spirit he is with these false teachers. The Bible says in Peter that it's Balaam the son of Bozer who loved the wages of unrighteousness. What? He's loving wages, huh? I thought he said it wasn't all the silver or the gold in your house you couldn't give me and I'd speak against God or go against God. But Peter says, in retrospect, he loved the wages of run rice. If you can't get paid, Balaam, for blessing God's people because you didn't curse them, you didn't hold true to the contract. You're supposed to curse them, but you bless them. If you can't get paid by that, I guess you have to do something else, won't you, in order to get some money. Amen. He loved the wages of unrighteousness and was rebuked for his iniquity. Now note this. It says Balaam the son of Bozer. That's Bozer in the New Testament. Bozer was not Balaam's actual father. Beor, according to the Old Testament, was his actual father. But Bozer does not mean or come from, it means rather or comes from a word meaning flesh. Peter's really giving us something here, I think, to consider. He said Balaam was the son. He didn't state his actual father. He stated really his spiritual father. Balaam, the son of the flesh. Balaam, the son of the flesh, loves the wages of unrighteousness and is rebuked for his iniquity. As one translation says, Balaam, the one who loved to earn money by doing wrong. Bible says in Job 34 and verse 21, this is Elihu speaking in the book of Job. Not just every verse from Job is Job speaking. We have the three friends and Elihu here as well that speaks. Elihu says this, speaking of God, for his eyes are upon the ways of man and he seeth all his goings. We don't have the full story. We don't know all the ins and outs. But God, even by virtue of an angel, stood there by Balaam and says, why did you, why did you hit your donkey this three times? He says, your way is perverse. What's that telling me? That God knows the ways of man. He sees his goings. Even when we fool others, we cannot ever fool God. We can fool our husband. We can fool our wife. We can fool our children. We can fool a pastor, Sunday school teacher. We can fool our families, but we'll never fool God. We'll never fool God. 
And that's one of the things that it blows our minds, I know, to think. Amen. We think how in the world and people do what they're doing. Don't they know that God sees that? Well, whenever you cannot cease from seeing and you grow callous, you really don't care what God thinks. Elihu says his eyes are upon the ways of man. Bob says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro over all the earth, beholding the evil and the Amen. He sees both aspects, both parts. And so perhaps the, per, the perverse way that the Lord calls out in the book of Numbers, amen, had less to do with Balaam's haste in going and more to do, amen, with what was going on inside of his heart, what was going on inside of his mind. Peter says these false teacher types have hearts that exercise the desire for more and more. They exercise unto covetous practices. Now look, Numbers 31 and verse 16. We're still in the story of Bal, not Balaam, but Balaam. Balaam and Balak. Get the BBs going. Amen. He says, behold. Now, this is where we learn a little bit about more about Balaam's story, but we don't know necessarily the story. Behold, these, it's speaking about Moabite women, caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the manner of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. What happened? The, 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 the Moabite women the, 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 the Midian, it should be Midianite. The Midianite women, I believe it is, not the Moabite. The Midianite women, amen, started coming in and they, Israel started committing whoredoms with them. As a matter of fact, the Bible records of one man bringing such a woman right there into the camp of Israel and taking her into his tent. And Eli, uh, uh, I think it was Eliphaz or one of those of the priests saw it and he had had enough. People were already dying because of their relationships. People were already starting to bow down to their foster gods and eating, amen, meat that had been offered to their gods as a result of this. The Bible says that, that the man of God went in there with a spear and he put the spear through the Midianite woman and the man who took her through her. He impaled both of them. And there were some people there It was like, <gasps> but you know what God said? God said, I'm going to bless his descendants because of his attitude toward injustice. Amen. And so that's what was going on. How did these, these women start to do this type of thing? Well, they did it because they had received the counsel of Balaam. Balaam taught them how to deceive. Balaam taught them how to beguile. Balaam taught them how to get in and look true enough but be untrue and pull a following. That is paralleling just like the false teachers of the New Testament. If you will, turn with me, if you will, just real quickly to Numbers chapter 25. I want to go there. Numbers 25. Because that's where the story is played out. All right. I was right to begin with. It wasn't Midianite, and that's the reason why I wanted to go there. It was the Moabite women. The Moabite women that had done this. Oh, it is Midianite. Look at verse number 6. Behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought to his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses. So it was a Midianite. I wanted to get it right. Moab, Midian. So they did this. They came, caused and beguiled, deceived these people. And then before you know it, they're falling into lustful habits. They're falling into serving other gods. As a result of all this, if we are not careful... 
we will be duped in believing there is gain and profitable wages to unrighteousness when there is not. Because that is what Balaam said. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. Amen. We will believe that we are better off by not being right with God than we are with being right with God. Because I've heard it and maybe even stated myself sometimes that this is how the enemy works. Such and such is going on in my life or in our lives. And have you ever heard someone say, I tell you what, you think, you know, it's kind of like that comparison thing. There's the wicked, there's the godly. Well, I'd almost be better off if. Right? I'd almost be better off if. But the true wages, we got to understand the true wages of unrighteousness. They might not be paid in this life. True wages of unrighteousness is God's judgment. And Job gave his opinion. He gave his opinion on this misplaced emphasis. Job believed that a person could concentrate on wealth. They could concentrate. They could be greedy and concentrate on wealth. Put too much stock, if you will, in wealth and in possessions to the degree that they would ignore the Lord and become an adulteress. They would forsake the Lord. Job believed that. And he was a righteous man. He had a lot of wealth as, as a man from the east. He had much wealth of his time. But he says, you can put so much stock in that that if you don't watch it, you can deter from God to that. And this is what he says. This is Job speaking in Job 31. And this is verse 24 and 25. It may be in the King James up there. I got the new King James in front of me here. Job says, if I have made gold my hope or said to find gold, you are my confidence. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great, which his was, and because my hand had gained much, skipping down to verse 28, this also would be an iniquity. And there's a list of things he names more than just gold. This also would be an iniquity deserving judgment. For I would have denied God who is above. Job says, if I was so enamored with riches and gold that I thought my hope was in that, he said, I would just already deny the Lord if I thought if I put more hope in that than I did my God. If I put more confidence in what I had than who he was. He said, then I, that would be iniquity deserving of judgment because I would have denied the Lord. I would have forsaken the Lord, turned from the Lord to have that type of mind frame and that type of thinking. And so here is the purpose now. Here is the purpose. Remember, Balaam was rebuked by his donkey, by all things. <laughs> That's funny to me. If I just, if you really picture it, there's a purpose for the rebuke. There's a purpose for this time of discipline that Balaam is receiving. And that is this. Balaam received the rebuke. He received the discipline, but evidently Balaam didn't allow that to have a full sway in his life. Because the overarching intent of rebuke or the overarching intent of instruction is that the one rebuke will then hopefully form a proper habit of behavior after the rebuke. But that didn't happen here for our dear friend Balaam. He went on about his ways to the place of giving counsel to people how to deceive God's people away from God to the things of other gods. Peter says, that's just like these people in my day. They arose up among the true they departed from that. They didn't go by themselves. They took others with them. Amen. And now the things they used to embrace, now they ignore. And they are even to a place now. They've done it so long, they feel good about their choice. Whenever 
we no longer feel conviction. That is one of the scariest days of your life. If you ever get to a place that what used to be a known wrong you can do and you don't feel bad about doing it. That is a scary, scary day. And even, and it's something that doesn't just go from like a door on the hinge open to close. It happens over time. People start to not feel as bad. And so when they re-embrace it the next time, they start to not feel as bad. Until now, they are, their conscience doesn't bother them. So much so a person can be deceived that thinking that what is bad is right. That's how the Bible speaks of you get to a place where people call good evil and evil good. Amen. So there's a purpose then. Thank God for the donkey that the Lord allowed his mouth to open and said, yeah. Hey, buddy. <laughs> I don't know if he said that or not. We don't have, we don't have no we don't have no little bubble in scripture or anything, you know. Look what the scripture says, Hebrews 12 and verse 11. Speaking of rebuke, speaking of discipline. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Let's stop right there and someone say amen. Amen. I don't know a single one of us, at least me, I don't know of a single kid that enjoyed being disciplined as a child. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, yay! So you're going to give me five lashes. Awesome! You know? Rock God! No. No. It is grievous. It is not joyous. It is grievous. For that matter, I don't know a single adult, including me, that takes pleasure from being told, you know, I've done rogue or I made a mistake. It's grievous. But Scripture says, nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. The scripture says, ill yield fruit of righteousness, peaceable fruit of righteousness, peaceable fruit of right standing with God when we are exercised by it or trained by it. You know what that is? Allowing reproof instruction to come into our life and then and then forming our behavior around what the instruction has taught us. In the moment, I don't like it. God, I don't like it when you whoop me. Don't like it. Don't care for it. It's very grievous. I'm not joyous about it. Chastening of the Lord is not fun. But afterward, it can bring fruit into my life if I adhere to what the teacher was trying to teach me. Bring fruit into my life if I allow it to be a lesson learned rather than a lesson to be relearned. Amen? God, help me learn the lesson. And so... Balaam was flunky in this in that he got the rebuke, he got the discipline, but he didn't learn the lesson. And so it didn't bring fruit of righteousness into his life, but rather he went back to receiving the wages of his unrighteousness. He was slain, he was killed along with several others because of the deeds that he has done. 
Amen. And Peter is telling us these false teachers that are coming in his generation, even those in ours, if they receive not the rebuke of the Lord, and some will not because they have already went too far, they don't even have a conscience to accept it. He says the day is coming, but they will not receive fruit of righteousness because they have not exercised themselves toward the instruction that has been given them. They'll just continue to exercise themselves, amen, toward covetous practices, and it has a determined end. You'll stand with me tonight. Traits of a traitor. Peter still has some other things to talk about concerning these. We'll try to get through the rest of chapter 2 next week. He's going to talk about them being, being nothing more but wells without water and clouds that are carried forth that cannot give no promise of what they should have. Hallelujah. If we can just bow our heads here this evening. Hallelujah. I just want to pray to the Lord. I want to pray for his hand of guidance and protection and my exposure to him to learn the lessons that he would desire to teach me well. Father, God, I love you tonight. God, I appreciate you. I'm thankful, Lord God, for the list. God, that you have comprised for us. God, that our eyes can be open, Lord, to those that are around us, but even more so, God, to not find ourselves falling, God, into some pattern, Lord God, of like manner or like way. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, today we need the anointing of your spirit. I need Lord you're chastening I need your rebuke God time and again but Lord more than just having that I need to exercise myself in that I pray oh Lord today open up my spirit and my life Lord Jesus to that I don't want to forsake you Lord I don't want to forsake your path I don't want Lord Jesus to be led astray I don't want Lord Jesus any of these things help me Lord to be conscious help me Lord Jesus to be aware God of where my feet are Lord let not greed let not Lord Jesus sensual desire Lord at any level, Lord, have a louder voice in my life than the voice of God. I pray, oh Lord, today I don't want to turn away from truth because turning away from truth opens me up automatically, Lord, to a path of a lot of other things, Lord, that will come into my life if I don't stop it at the point of turning. Help me, God, to repent. God, that is a turn as well. Help me, God, to repent and turn, Lord, back toward you. To turn away, God, from those things, Lord, that are detrimental to my life and turn toward the things, God, that will bring up appreciation lord jesus i pray god in my life lord i thank you and i praise you for it in the lovely name of jesus christ that i pray amen and amen everybody say amen amen go home and hug your domestic thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter with the username facmc again that's facmc thank you and have a blessed day.